example of this is love is an assignment. Didn't you love it in school when you got assignments? No. Teachers and professors love to give assignments. You go to the workplace, they give you an assignment. You live in a home, you get an assignment. There's always an assignment. And you like it when you accomplish, it, accomplish that task that was given to you, and you do it well. When you forget to do it or you do it poorly, you're not so thrilled about the assignment. Well, there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, there's a passage there that even talks about assignment. But here's the assignment that I'd say that's been preeminent in this whole series. Love is the assignment that the Father has given the children of God. That we would love those inside the house of faith as we just demonstrated together. But we would love those far from the cross just as much as we love those. And yes, we would even love our enemies. Love is so much more than a feeling or an emotion, but love is a decision. Write that somewhere in your notes. You've got plenty of room there on your outline this morning. Love is the decision that you and I make over and over and over every day when we encounter other people of faith, without faith, people that have hurt us, people that love us, people that admire us, people that don't admire us, just when we get into life's experiences, we have an opportunity to be on this love assignment. And there's one thing about people. They can challenge our ability to love them. And sometimes if we feel like we have to just tolerate them or whatever, but there's a, a, a longtime friend, that's easy to love. Maybe there's an acquaintance in your life, and maybe that's easy to love. But when there's somebody that's maybe more of a thorn in your flesh, they just give you a hard time, they just rub you. Everybody raise your hand if you have a thorn. No, don't raise your hand. Every, all of us probably have people in our lives that just rub us the wrong way. Somebody said one time about marriage, as divine and holy as the institution of marriage as it is, Marriage is also created to be divine sandpaper that we might rub the rough spots off one another to be more like Jesus. And all the married people said, you didn't like that, did you? Okay. Love. Love is an assignment that I love in present tense. I love in the moment that we're in. This morning, it was so neat to see y'all quickly move in to see the keepers and chap, to love on them, to place your hands on them in loving affection and lift up prayers for them because God is love. The scripture calls you and me to pursue this God of love with all our hearts because he has first loved us. We didn't love him first. He loved us. He pursued us. He, he wooed us unto himself. So we go after the Father. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-four, 34 and verses to follow, the religious groups of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, were always bickering or trying to one-up Jesus. And they were there, and yet they got dumbfounded by the brilliance of Jesus. It's amazing how many times Jesus would just speak such authoritatively into the life of somebody. Or they would ask him a question, he'd go, would you answer this first, and then I'll answer your question, and they never answer it. Or the woman that's caught there in adultery says, he that is without sin, cast the first, and nobody throws a stone. I think everybody, I, I wish I could have been there. Everybody put their stone down, and they walked away because Jesus had just called them. But listen to this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they got together. And in 35 through 39, it says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Almost every week I've tried to touch on that because it's really the mission statement of Christ Community Church. Love God. Say it again. Love God. Love others. Others. People outside our influence of hope, our influence of wherever we find ourselves. Loving people that we don't necessarily choose to love, but God calls them into our life. What, so in this love assignment, I would ask this question. What does it look like when God shows up? What does the church of the living Christ look like, reflect, when God shows up through its members? I think we are compelled to do something to be a people of action. We'll see that in the book of James in the weeks to come. But here it is. Jesus is not a set of beliefs, but Jesus is a relationship. That's worth writing down. Jesus is not simply a set of beliefs to pay volitional attention to, but he's a relationship to have, to embrace, to experience and pursue and go after every day. One eye on the Father, and one eye on people. God, give us eyes to see the kingdom, but give us eyes to see those around us, those that are like us, those that are unlike us, those that need to be touched with the love of Christ. So I, I would say we have to get out of our bubble, we have to get out of our holy huddle, we have to go touch the world. We have to go make contact. I've talked about that many times when we talk about evangelism and how the church maybe fails at that. We get an assignment. In this room today, there are so many professions. There's hairstylists, there's secretaries, there's bookkeepers, there's accountants, there's lawyers, there's retired people, there's housewives, there's decorators, there's musicians, there's painters, there's uh, administrators, there's, I mean, oh, no, no, we could, and, and you say, well, you, you missed my profession. I'm sorry. There's just a lot of different walks of life in our fellowship that we touch the world, the world for Christ, through our witness, through our poor witness, or our awesome witness, contagious for Christ. And God wants us to go. He always wants us to be on mission. In verse 17 of that passage here in, in Corinthians, it says, let everyone lead the life which the Lord has assigned him. God is sovereign. He goes, and then in Proverbs, it says 16, 9, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That's what I pray, that the Lord would direct our steps individually and as a fellowship, that we would somehow find the divine assignment for our lives do you believe you have a divine assignment this morning? I believe you do. I believe every person, if you know Christ, God has given you a divine assignment in your life, but I think even for that day, and it's to somehow glorify God through your speech, through your actions, through your mercy, through your grace, through your forgiveness, through your acts of uh, servanthood, whoever knows what it is. But God, make us conscious, conscious of your presence that somehow we don't never forget that we're on assignment from you. We're on loan from heaven that, God, you send us to go with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we don't have to do it by ourselves. This morning, when we finish the service, we're going to tie the message to you, connect you in small groups, and some of you are going to be a little bit nervous. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't wig out. It's going to be a little different, but we pray over these summer months, this is going to become a rich 
meaningful time of connection of how the body of Christ loves one another. And the church said, matter of fact, I'm taking a term that I coined 23 years ago called body life. Body life is our expression of prayer to our holy God. And we have practiced that unlike any fellowship I've ever seen in the world. But today, we're ca I'm calling it body life 2.0. We're going to step it up another thing. And so many people have said, body life was the oddest, weirdest thing I've ever seen when I came to that church. And when I left, it was the greatest thing I saw when the body of Christ practiced his presence. So today we're just going to add a 2.0, we're going to update it, and we're going to express the love, the assignment of Christ, and I hope it'll speak to us. But let me just say this, as I'm, I want to move through this outline. What I've learned is, people are sometimes irritating. Would anybody agree? And you're saying, well, I don't know about people. You're irritating. Or you turn to the person next to you and say, you're, don't turn to them. I say, you, but you're irritating. We just know how to rub each other sometimes wrong. But if God says, if we'll make them a priority to love them with the love of Christ, things can change. Uh, we used to sing a song in my old church. It's an old song. I'm so glad that you are a part of the... You heard it, have you? All the young generation, I ain't never heard that. That sounds kind of hokey. Well, we used to sing on this stage, I am a friend of God. And I remember, man, we'd elevate during the song, you know, and it was a great song in the praise and worship movement. But the thing is, we are children of God by faith in Christ. We make it a priority. Lord, we want to serve the poor. We want to go out differently. But here, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you look at verses 5 through 7, and I would venture to say nobody in here today has a translation I'm going to read it from. I read so many translations, and I, I just I love to study the Word. But in this one, it's called the NCV, the New Century Version. No, do not go out and buy one, because I don't know that I'll preach on it with that version again, or it'll be six months or a year from now, so you'd be frustrated. But listen to this. It says this in verse 5. Love is not rude is not selfish, does not get upset with others. Love does not count up wrongs that have been done. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but it rejoices over the truth. Love patiently accepts all things. It always trusts, it always hopes, and it always endures. That is a powerful word from God this morning. Just those little verses extrapolated out of 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, to us this morning. And so we're going to look at three quick points. Number one, love is not rude. Have you ever been in a situation you go, that's just rude? Anybody ever said that besides me? That's just rude. And, and we know about rudeness. Sometimes we're rude to others. People are rude to us. But the scripture admonishes us. It tells us it's not rude. In the Greek, it would basically mean love does not act unbecomingly of another. It doesn't act inappropriately. Love exercises good judgment. Love is the ways of Jesus. Christian love involves having the appropriate response and the actions to one another. Now, I'm glad that we have grace because when we fall short and fail, we can exercise forgiveness and we need God's grace. But rudeness, here's what I've learned, and I think you'll agree with me. If you watch the news today, if you look at social media, rudeness is never going to be like Jesus. But rudeness is finding more acceptance in today's culture than ever before. 
It's almost become a new norm of as we head toward 2020. Let's be rude one to another. There is no place for rudeness in the body of Christ. And the church said, and yet in the workplace today and in social media and on newscasts, it's like it's commonplace. That's the new norm. I don't want to be a part of the new norm. Do you? I watch so many things. I watch how they're trying to redefine marriage. They're trying to redefine this. We're trying to redefine that. No, this book has spoken clearly to us, and we need to be adherents and lovers and obeyers of Jesus Christ. So love, William Barclay, the old commentator, says, love does not behave in a gracious manner. Love has good manners. Do you remember when your parents taught you to have good manners? Did anybody get in trouble? Because like, man, you, you ain't doing this too good, Keith. You, you know, you need to go back to this remedial class. But, you know, I love it seeing our grandkids as they're learning good manners. And I love when you have good manners and when we are respectful of one another as adults and as kids and as, as the elderly generation. Man, we're, we're just kind. We, we treat them with uh, honor and respect and, and with tact. God, help us to not be rude. There's no place for rudeness in the body of Christ. The Corinthian church that we read here about in 13 they were in so many ways they were rude they were even rude when they came to the lord's table for communion they would go and some of them should have eaten before they got there and they would go and they would take hunks of bread and they would make it a a a feast and they would begin to eat so much and that wasn't the place they should have eaten before they came and then as i've done study on this over the decades some would come and they would get intoxicated they would get drunk at the at the communion time it's like man that's not the purpose of communion the communion was to add honor to christ sometimes if you read in first corinthians 1 they were divisive they were rude in their divisiveness they, they came against one another in their acceptance of immorality they were rude and on and on i started seeing all these selfish expressions that the the church there had and if we're honest we're not far removed that sometimes we get rude in 2019 that we move away from this they were also if you go all the way to chapter 12 and through 14 sometimes they got rude in how they expressed their spiritual gifts because god says but you know he talks about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 what does god talk about in chapter 13 of first corinthians love spiritual gifts are to bring honor and glory to jesus christ through the holy spirit and they're so needed and operational in the body of christ but so is the love of christ if i have not love i gain nothing i am not so god give us an assignment of love this morning i also know this and i'll just make it real quick love is not rude it doesn't have place for coarse jesting or lewd or indecent talk it it honors it honors the dignity of other women and men you know that's one of the things that's amazing me as i age and as i watch our world that's broken and messed up and sinful how far it's getting from the ways of christ so in our church i pray that we would return to the biblical admonitions that christ gives and we'd act in a decent manner look at the second one love is not easily angered Oh my goodness, this is one of those you could, you could just spend all day on it and you think about it. But this, uh, this anger thing in 13.5, it says, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. But love just doesn't get angered. We, we respond in a great way. Like, here we go, let's say you go to your favorite grocery store today or tomorrow or sometime this week. And when you get there, 
uh, you know, you, you, you get to the checkout item and it says 10 items or less. Now, do you ever count and go, can you count? Really? There's 27 items in that. You're going to hell. No, you don't tell them that. If you do, don't tell them you go to Christ Community Church, okay? That's not a good witness. But the reality is we're just like, man, look, this is called an express lane. This is like, like, you know, when you drive and you're supposed to be in the lane that you're supposed to have multiple people in. When you go to the grocery store, you don't get in that lane. If you, you know, if you got 20, you're like, but I'm in a hurry. Well, that's called you're the special one, but you're really not that special, okay? Here it is. You, you ever get surrounded by bad drivers in Montgomery on Taylor Road? In, in the love of Christ comes out every time, right? Probably not, because people cut you off. You're like, man, this, this is not good. Uh, you, you, uh, you know, you for, uh, has this ever happened to anybody? Have you ever been in a situation where you only had one car or a car was in the shop and you forgot to pick somebody up and they were stranded and they missed an appointment? It's never happened to anybody, right? Okay, we'll just keep going. All right. uh, what about when your child asks you the 43rd time the same question? And you, oh, yes, son, that is a wonderful question you're asking me. And that, that ain't happening. Like, man, get a new question, okay? Get a new question, okay? Uh, the word angered, in some it says it means to be provoked. It means to be aroused to anger. It means a sudden outburst of convulsion and emotion comes forth. It's uh, the Greek there, when it talks about sharpen, stimulate, rouse to anger, in the Phillips translation of the New Testament, he's one, didn't stay along, around very good, J.B. Phillips. I, I, I've got an old paperback when I bought 35 years ago. I love it. He says it this way. Love is not touchy. It does not have a hair trigger temper. I like the way he put that because I was like, I can understand that. Because anger gets you and I in trouble and it dismisses the love of Christ. It, it's like when we get irritated or anger comes on us, it's like, kaboom! I mean, you explode. And, and you've been around people that explode, or maybe you've been that person that explode. You're like, you know, God, this is, a, this is a bomb. And I want you to think about it in the natural. When a bomb goes off, what does it leave behind? Debris. Devastation. When you and I go off in an emotional bomb toward another human made in the image of Christ, it leaves a trail of damage. So God wants us to be like him through his spirit, through his presence. We don't want to fly off the candle. We, we want his love to guard us, to help us to be not so irritated. I don't know if you think about this, but you're going to get to practice this message I'm preaching today, this week. More than once. Maybe today. Maybe this hour. Maybe the next hour. But ask the Holy Spirit, give me patience. Produce patience and joy and love in me. Produce a love. I'm on an assignment from the Father, and Lord, I want to love other people with your love. I want to be more compassionate. They, I don't know why they're acting that way, but it doesn't matter how I respond. Lord, they have disturbed my peace. Well, don't be so irritated by them. We need to be more kind, more forgiving. When we're, when we're more filled with the love of Christ, we're less prone to get short-tempered, short-fused with others. Just, that's why I think we have to gather all the time in small groups and in worship assemblies and to hear the word and preach the word and sing the word and pray the word and connect with one another because it help us, helps us to realize how short we fall, the glory of God, and how much we need one another to help us in our walk of faith. And I love the, the church for that reason. But here's what I find for me. 
when I want to say it's my rights, it's my property, it's my this, it's my schedule, I don't want you to interfere with my rights. Have you ever been there? You know, when people interfere with your realm of whatever, you get irritated. And God says, okay, love is not easily angered. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not so touchable. It's not so irritable. Uh, Lord, I want to be, uh, help us, Lord, not to be so preoccupied with ourselves, but to be more preoccupied with Christ and with his rule in our hearts. So this morning, I, I can't wait to see what's going to come out of this message in your groups today. I'm giving you a lot of ammunition to be thinking and reflecting this morning as your small group leaders will lead you this morning. It's, I think it's going to be a profound opportunity for us to do that. In 1 Peter 4, 8, the scripture says, love overlooks a multitude of sins, of which you and I have committed many, and we need the grace of Jesus. So, Lord, we don't want to provoke. We don't want to keep record of wrongs. We don't want to keep score. We don't want to have a permanent record. We want to remember the cost of uncontrolled anger. And when I am unbridled and the anger flows out of my life, there's usually a cost to, to associate with that. And when it's vented toward another human being, they, they pay. And I pay. Maybe I jeopardize my friendship, my relationship. I, I ruin us having the opportunity to break bread together. And like God's will, I want to come in and give you grace. You know what it is. You, you've been broken with a friend and God's reconciled. Isn't it beautiful when God reconciles two that have been opposed? It's beautiful. And nobody in this room would say, yeah, but I've got some people, I don't care if we ever make it right. Oh, I think if you let God drill down deep, you'll go, no, that, that's not true. It's festering in my heart. God, deal with me today. Help me to, to be after you. Uh, listen to Proverbs 15, 18. A hot-tempered person starts fights. Huh, that's anger. Proverbs 14, 29. One who is quick-tempered displays folly. That's mistakes. Here's foolishness. Proverbs 14, 17. Short-tempered people do foolish things. And the church said, yeah. So anger creates more anger. It destroys relationships so fast. And so here, here'd be the thing. I'd just write in there real quick a note. Help us to reflect before reacting in anger. God, help me to slow down and reflect on your mercy, on your love. Before I react in a sudden burst of emotional burning anger that I can't take back. They, they can forgive me. I can forgive them, but it does damage. N.T. Wright, if you read in Theological World, he is a great scholar, and he said it this way, you should behave, behave as those on whom God's Holy Spirit has placed God's mark. The word Paul uses here could refer to the seal or official stamp on a document. The mark indicates he who belongs to and what it's for. People who are enslaved to anger and malice may think they're free to themselves, but they are in bondage. If we are marked out by the Spirit's personal presence living in us, think about how sad it makes the Spirit if we behave in ways which don't reflect the life and the love of God. Father, I ask you to mark us personally as a church by the love of our Savior because that's what the world needs to see. Lord, before I send this text, before I make this phone call, before I run in that person's office, before I do whatever, 
help me to slow down and ask you, God, would this bring honor? God, I'm easily angered. And you tell me love is not easily angered. We're in opposition. I want to line up with you, God. And I think God will help us. Look at the third one. Love is not rude. Love is not easily angered. Love is enduring. I love that. It endures. It, it, it runs the course. It, it's a focus here. It's a military word. It means to sustain the assault of the enemy. Do y'all believe this morning we have an enemy? Zach and I were just talking about it. He's on the first touch team. We stand in the back and I talk about, man, the enemy's always out at work against warring against our soul. And we by faith, we get to sustain the assault of the enemy as we put on the armor of God, Ephesians 6. Love always finds a way to hang in there. Love conquers all. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers our lives. So nights that when you and I turn in anxiety about situations, his love is greater than our anxiety. I know it is. I miss it many times, but that's what it is. He, he loves me. His love bears all things. It bears the burdens. It's like, have, have, have you ever put on a really heavy pack and walked around with it, like really heavy? And like, and I have this thing, I always throw my pack over my one arm, therefore my neck, I kind of walk like that, my neck hurts or whatever. And you put on a, you put on a backpack, you know, you, you can only go so far. And yet, we, we want to get released. We want to we want to put those bags like this morning I pray that maybe in our small groups We would lay down some backpacks of 25 or 50 or 75 pounds and go I don't want to carry this rudeness and this anger or this anxiety anymore It's destroying my soul. It's destroying my witness and man. It's it's robbing my peace God help me to lay it down. Help me to see what you want God Lord You're not ashamed of me Lord. You love me love uh, This this is going to come up. It's called expanding our capacity look at this next slide i think it's the last one is it not another slide okay it was supposed to be a slide okay here's what it was called expand our capacity to love write that down god expand make bigger make room for the love of christ to fill me let me expand god you expand the capacity within me and my friends to love deeply as you love lord i confess when maybe i'm probed or pushed my flesh wants to dodge this thing about loving or whatever and god i want to compare myself or they compare me but god help me to have a greater expansion of borders a greater expansion of my heart i was thinking this way when I've told you before, I remember we, we had our first daughter, Rachel, and man, I, I didn't know Don and I could love somebody so much besides each other that we could love this kid. And oh my goodness. And, and then as we got ready to have our second child, and, and this is true, I ask parents this all the time, my greatest fear, and then I've talked to you that have three, four, five, six, whatever kids, and, and, and I go, well, how could I love that one as much as I love that one? And I learned a principle when we had Hannah. God expanded my heart's capacity bigger than I ever knew. You don't know this, but my daughter Rachel back there, when she was at Auburn University, she had a roommate one year. Her roommate is famous today. She had sextuplets. 
she had three boys and now she's had six more kids at one time they had 30 doctors and assistants in the hospital they had their own tv show on tlc her name this is hilarious they're not related to us she married a guy named waldrop y'all to google it if you think you're anxious you watch somebody with nine kids running around Six of them the same age. Me and Donna watch it. We cry. We laugh. We get anxious. We go, help her, Jesus. Their family is full of faith. And, and why don't I tell you that? And you know, I watch them, and they're amazing mom and dad. God expanded their hearts, their ability to love all these kids. And Courtney is a godly woman, and her number one concern is, I want each kid to feel special and loved. Does God not expand our capacity to love in our own families? Do you think God could expand our capacity as a fellowship to love people outside the church? He can. He wants to. He desires to. It's a distinguishing mark of a disciple. It just distinguishes us from the world. It covers sins. Love seeks to serve rather than be served, says Matthew. Jesus loves to seek and save and pursue the lost. I love where he lavishes his love on the prodigal son and he runs after and he welcomes him as I talked about last weekend. But God wants to question us this morning. How much do I love others? Do I need a heart expansion? And for me, I'd go, I do. I think if you ask that question, God, do you want to expand my heart? I think it'd be, yeah, I want to expand everybody's heart in this room. I want the love of Christ, the agape love of Christ, to fill and consume and liberate my body, the church. Lord, I want to know your love. We used to sing a song around here on Sunday mornings. Amazing love, how can it be? It was a great song. I, mean, I started listening to it last night. Don't worry, you don't have to sing it. But uh, I was just, uh, just a great song. Another song, Love Never Fails. You, you think about all the songs that are written in the hymnal and all the songs in this contemporary movement that we've been a part of for almost a quarter of a century. So much of it majors on love because if we're his disciples, we will love one another deeply with the love of Christ. We'll pursue him in love. So as I look there quickly at this verse from the, the NLT, 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 5. I'll start in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Circle rude if you have your scriptures. It is not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Circle the word irritable. That means easily angry. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures, circle it, through every circumstance. May the love of Christ endure in our hearts in our lives in our fellowship until we meet again and may god expand our hearts this morning in a magnificent way today i'm so excited about i'm going to have a prayer and then i'm going to ask chap to come up with me quickly and we're going to do something father i pray that the love of christ would just so permeate and fill the empty, broken places of our hearts. I pray that your love, we would exercise your love today and tomorrow and the weeks and months and years to come. 
And the scripture says, and they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. God, fill us with unbridled love. Fill us with passionate love for our God. Fill us with passionate love for our neighbor and for our friends. And yes, Lord, I pray a bold prayer. Fill our hearts with love for our enemies in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, Body Life 2.0 is about to happen. And Chap is going to talk to us briefly. And we trained this week 14 folks. And six or eight others were not in town, and they, they wanted to come. So we have a lot of leaders. They're spread out in the room. And we're going to circle up in circles in a minute. But Chap's going to explain just a few minutes to you. And then we're going to get to exercise this new thing called Body Life 2.0. May we be the body of Christ. Chap? Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking a chance with us on this. I guess this one's probably not on. I'm sorry. So what we're going to do is we're going to take an opportunity to connect with your shepherds for the next uh, more uh, deep and real way, enduring way. And uh, sometimes we in the church, we assume, sometimes in the church, we assume that it's the pastor's job to do all the holy and religious stuff and we're very successful. And that is actually not what the Bible's description of uh, a minister is. And I don't know if you're familiar, but the actual description within the Scripture, what a pastor does is to train up and equip the saints for service. And so what we did tonight was pretty exciting. We had uh, 12 folks out here, and we had some others that have watched online and have uh, learned how to guide the process of helping us discuss, discern, and apply the message to our lives. And this is going to do two things. It's going to connect us to each other. It's going to connect us to the message as we go out and try to live it. And it's going to bring life to the body as we the effort in to do it. It's a little different because this church has always been a little different, right? It's always Amen. been kind of on that front leading edge of uh, making the gospel relevant to this generation. And so we're going to try this today. Amen? Amen. Alright, so we all got to have a good attitude. So some are going to have to lead through the process because we got to pick up kids, we got to get home, and that's okay. But we hope that those uh, that uh, have a willing spirit will stay and engage and be a part of it. So we have Small group leaders throughout the room, we ask that you would circle up in groups of five to ten. There's even a circle already made for you over at Austin to the side. If you, you don't feel like turning your chair around, somebody go out over there and, and uh, participate with you. But we're going to ask you to do that right now. So Let me say this. I just want you to know it's 1059. It's 11 o'clock. So, so be courageous and don't leave. I'm going to come back and close this out so we can go get our kids. Try this experience today. Hey, facilitators, people, break up in your groups around you. Y'all know what to do. All right, so make groups. Thank you. Good job. Yeah, man. It is perfect. Yeah, this is this will be exciting to see how all this works. Hey, we can break out. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. This is crazy, man. I love it. <laughs> Charles, get in that group right there, Will. <laughs> 